Welcome to Classic Stories About Us. Hi, welcome to Classic Stories About Us. I'm Atta. If you like this podcast and would like to hear more, then please take a moment to subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Classic Stories About Us. Thank you for listening. Righto, Jeeves, by P.G. Woodhouse. Chapter 5 I gave him one of my looks. Jeeves, I said, I had scarcely expected this of you. You are aware that I was up to an advanced hour last night. You know that I have barely had my tea. You cannot be ignorant of the effect of that hearty voice of Aunt Delia's on a man with a headache. And yet, you come bringing me fingnottles? Is this a time for fink? Or any other kind of nottle? But did you not give me to understand, sir, that you wish to see Mr. Finknottle to advise him on his affairs? This, I admit, opened up a new line of thought. In the stress of my emotions, I had clean forgotten about having taken Gussie's interest in hand. It altered things. One can't give the raspberry to a client. I mean, you didn't find Sherlock Holmes refusing to see clients just because he had been out late the night before at Dr. Watson's birthday party. I could have wished that the man had selected some more suitable hour for approaching me, but as he appeared to be a sort of human lark, leaving his watery nest at daybreak, I supposed I had better give him an audience. True, I said. All right, bang him in. Very good, sir. But before doing so, bring me one of those pick-me-ups of yours. Very good, sir. And presently, he returned with the vital essence. I have had occasion, I fancy, to speak before now of these pick-me-ups of Jeeves's and their effect on a fellow who is hanging to life by a thread on the morning after. What they consist of, I couldn't tell you. He says, some kind of sauce, the yolk of a raw egg, and a dash of red pepper. But nothing will convince me that the thing doesn't go much deeper than that. Be that as it may, however, the results of swallowing one are amazing. For perhaps the split part of a second, nothing happens. It is as though all nature waited breathless. Then, suddenly... It is as if the last trump had sounded and Judgment Day set in with unusual severity. Bonfires burst out in all in parts of the frame. The abdomen becomes heavily charged with molten lava. A great wind seems to blow through the world, and the subject is aware of something resembling a steam hammer striking the back of the head. During this phase, the ears ring loudly, the eyeballs rotate, and there is a tingling about the brow. And then... Just as you are feeling that you ought to ring up your lawyer and see that your affairs are in order before it is too late, the whole situation seems to clarify. The wind drops, the ears cease to ring, birds twitter, brass bands start playing, the sun comes up over the horizon with a jerk. And a moment later, all you are conscious of is a great peace. As I drain the glass now, new life seemed to burgeon within me. I remember Jeeves, who, 
However much he may go off the rails at times in the matter of dress clothes and in his advice to those in love, has always had a neat turn of phrase, once speaking of someone rising on stepping stones of his dead self to higher things. It was that way with me now. I felt that the Bertram Worcester who lay propped up against the pillows had become a better, stronger, finer Bertram. Thank you, Jeeves, I said. Not at all, sir. That touched the exact spot. I am now able to cope with life's problems. I am gratified to hear it, sir. What madness not to have had one of those before tackling Aunt Dahlia. However, too late to worry about that now. Tell me of Gussie. How did he make out at the fancy dress ball? He did not arrive at the fancy dress ball, sir. I looked at him, a bit austerely. Jeeves, I said. I admit that after that pick-me-up of yours, I feel better. But don't try me too high. Don't stand by my sickbed talking absolute rot. We shot Gussie into a cab and he started forth, headed for wherever this fancy dress ball was. He must have arrived. No, sir. As I gather from Mr. Finknottle, he entered the cab, convinced in his mind that the entertainment to which he had been invited was to be held at number 17 Suffolk Square whereas the actual rendezvous was number 71, Norfolk Terrace. These aberrations of memory are not uncommon with those who, like Mr. Finknottle, belong essentially to what one might call the dreamer type. One might also call it the fathead type. Yes, sir. Well? On reaching number 17, Suffolk Square, Mr. Finknottle endeavoured to produce money to pay the fare. What stopped him? The fact that he had no money, sir. He discovered that he had left it, together with his ticket of invitation, on the mantelpiece of his bedchamber in the house of his uncle, where he was residing. Bidding the cabman to wait, accordingly, he rang the doorbell, and when the butler appeared, requested him to pay the cab, adding that it was all right, as he was one of the guests invited to the dance. The butler then disclaimed all knowledge of a dance on the premises. And declined to unbelt? Yes, sir. Upon which? Mr. Finknottle directed the cabman to drive him back to his uncle's residence. Well, why wasn't that the happy ending? All he had to do was go in, collect cash and ticket, and there he would have been, on velvet. I should have mentioned, sir, that Mr. Finknottle had also left his latchkey on the mantelpiece of his bedchamber. He could have rung the bell? He did ring the bell, sir, for some fifteen minutes. At the expiration of that period, he recalled that he had given permission to the caretaker, the house was officially closed and all the staff on holiday, to visit his sailor son at Portsmouth. Golly, Jeeves! Yes, sir. These dreamer types do live, don't they? Yes, sir. What happened then? Mr. Finknottle appears to have realized at this point that his position as regards the cabman had become equivocal. The figures on the clock had already reached a substantial sum, and he was not in a position to meet his obligations. He could have explained. You cannot explain to cabmen, sir. On endeavouring to do so, he found the fellow sceptical of his bona fides. I should have legged it. That is the policy which appears to have commended itself to Mr. Finknottle. He darted rapidly away, and the cabman, endeavouring to detain him, snatched at his overcoat. Mr. Finknottle contrived to extricate himself from the coat, 
and it would seem that his appearance in the masquerade costume beneath it came as something of a shock to the cabman. Mr. Finknottle informs me that he heard a species of whistling gasp, and, looking round, observed the man crouching against the railings with his hands over his face. Mr. Finknottle thinks he was praying. No doubt an uneducated, superstitious fellow, sir. Possibly a drinker. Well, if he hadn't been one before, I'll bet he started being one shortly afterwards. I expect he could scarcely wait for the pubs to open. Very possibly, in the circumstances, he might have found a restorative agreeable, sir. And so, in the circumstances, might Gussie too, I should think. What on earth did he do after that? London, late at night, or even in the daytime for that matter, is no place for a man in scarlet tights. No, sir. He invites comment. Yes, sir. I can see the poor old bird ducking down side streets, skulking in alleyways, diving into dustbins. I gathered from Mr. Finknottle's remarks, sir, that something very much on those lines was what occurred. Eventually, after a trying night, he found his way to Mr. Sippley's residence, where he was able to secure lodging and a change of costume in the morning. I nestled against the pillows, the brow a bit drawn. It is all very well to try to do old school friends a spot of good, but I could not but feel that in espousing the cause of a lunkhead capable of mucking things up, as Gussie had done, I had taken on a contract almost too big for human consumption. It seemed to me that what Gussie needed was not so much the advice of a seasoned man of the world as a padded cell in Colney Hatch and a couple of good keepers to see that he did not set the place on fire. Indeed, for an instant, I had half a mind to withdraw from the case and hand it back to Jeeves. But the pride of the Worcesters restrained me. When we Worcesters put our hands to the plough, we do not readily sheathe the sword. Besides, after that business of the mess jacket, anything resembling weakness would have been fatal. I suppose you realize, Jeeves, I said, for though one dislikes to rub it in, these things have to be pointed out, that all this was your fault? Sir? It's no good saying, sir. You know it was. If you had not insisted on his going to that dance, a mad project, as I spotted from the first, this would not have happened. Yes, sir, but I confess I did not anticipate... Always anticipate everything, Jeeves, I said, a little sternly. It is the only way. Even if you had allowed him to wear a Pierrot costume, things would not have panned out as they did. A Pierrot costume has pockets. However... I went on more kindly. We need not go into that now. If all this has shown you what comes of going about the place in scarlet tights, that is something gained. Gussie waits without, you say? Yes, sir. Then shoot him in, and I will see what I can do for him. Chapter 6 Gussie, on arrival, proved to be still showing traces of his grim experience. The face was pale the eyes gooseberry-like, the ears drooping, and the whole aspect that of a man who has passed through the furnace and been caught in the machinery. I hitched myself up a bit higher on the pillows and gazed at him narrowly. It was a moment, I could see, when first aid was required, and I prepared to get down to cases. Well, Gussie. Hello, Bertie. What-o? What-o? These civilities concluded, I felt that the moment had come to touch delicately on the past. 
I hear you've been through it a bit. Yes. Thanks to Jeeves. It wasn't Jeeves's fault. Entirely Jeeves's fault. I don't see that. I forgot my money and latchkey, and now you'd better forget Jeeves. For you will be interested to hear, Gussie, I said, deeming it best to put him in touch with the position of affairs right away, that he is no longer handling your little problem. This seemed to slip it across him properly. The jaws fell. The ears drooped more limply. He had been looking like a dead fish. He now looked like a deader fish, one of last year's, cast up on some lonely beach and left there at the mercy of the wind and tides. What? Yes. You don't mean that Jeeves isn't going to... No. But dash it! I was kind but firm. You will be much better off without him. Surely your terrible experiences of that awful night have told you that Jeeves needs a rest. The keenest of thinkers strikes a bad patch occasionally. That is what has happened to Jeeves. I have seen it coming on for some time. He has lost his form. He wants his plugs decarbonized. No doubt this is a shock to you. I suppose you came here this morning to seek his advice? Of course I did. On what point? Madeline Bassett has gone to stay with these people in the country, and I want to know what he thinks I ought to do. Well, as I say, Jeeves is off the case. But, Bertie, dash it. Jeeves, I said with a certain asperity, is no longer on the case. I am now in sole charge. But what on earth can you do? I curbed my resentment. We Worcesters are fair-minded. We can make allowances for men who have been parading London all night in scarlet tights. That, I said quietly, we shall see. Sit down and let us confer. I am bound to say the thing seems quite simple to me. You say this girl has gone to visit friends in the country. It would appear obvious that you must go there too and flock round her like a poultice. Elementary. But I can't plant myself on a lot of perfect strangers. Don't you know these people? Of course I don't. I don't know anybody. I pursed the lips. This did seem to complicate matters somewhat. All that I know is that their name is Travers, and it's a place called Brinkley Court down in Worcestershire. I unpursed my lips. Gussie, I said, smiling paternally. It was a lucky day for you when Bertram Worcester interested himself in your affairs. As I foresaw from the start, I can fix everything. This afternoon you shall go to Brinkley Court, an honoured guest. He quivered like a moose. I suppose it must always be rather a thrilling experience for the novice to watch me taking hold. But Bertie, you don't mean you know these Traverses? They are my Aunt Dahlia. My gosh! You see now, I pointed out, how lucky you were to get me behind you. You go to Jeeves, and what does he do? He dresses you up in scarlet tights and one of the foulest false beers of my experience and sends you off to fancy dress balls. Result? Agony of spirit and no progress. I then take over and put you on the right lines. Could Jeeves have got you into Brinkley Court? Not a chance. Aunt Delia isn't his aunt. I merely mention these things. By Jove, Bertie, I don't know how to thank you. My dear chap. But I say, now what? What do I do when I get there? If you knew Brinkley Court, you would not ask that question. In those romantic surroundings, you can't miss. Great lovers through the ages have fixed up the preliminary formalities at Brinkley. The place is simply ill with atmosphere. 
You will stroll with the girl in the shady walks. You will sit with her on the shady lawns. You will row on the lake with her. And gradually, you will find yourself working up to a point where... By Jove, I believe you're right. Of course I'm right. I've got engaged three times at Brinkley. No business resulted, but the fact remains. And I went there without the foggiest idea of indulging in the tender pash. I hadn't the slightest intention of proposing to anybody. Yet, no sooner had I entered those romantic grounds than I found myself reaching out for the nearest girl in sight and slapping my soul down in front of her. It's something in the air. I see exactly what you mean. That's just what I want to be able to do. Work up to it. And in London, curse the place, everything's in such a rush that you don't get a chance. Quite. You'll see a girl alone for about five minutes a day, and if you want to ask her to be your wife, you've got to charge into it as if you were trying to grab the gold ring on a merry-go-round. That's right. London rattles one. I shall be a different man altogether in the country. What a bit of luck this Travers woman turning out to be your aunt. I don't know what you mean, turning out to be my aunt. She's been my aunt all along. I mean, how extraordinary that it should be your aunt that Madeline's going to stay with. Not at all. She and my cousin Angela are close friends. At Cannes, she was with us all the time. Oh, you met Madeline at Cannes, did you? By Joe, Bertie, said the poor lizard devoutly. I wish I could have seen her at Cannes. How wonderful she must have looked in beach pyjamas. Oh, Bertie. Quite, I said, a little distantly. Even when restored by one of Jeeves's depth bombs, one doesn't want this sort of thing after a hard night. I touched the bell and, when Jeeves appeared, requested him to bring me telegraph form and pencil. I then wrote a well-worded communication to Aunt Dahlia, informing her that I was sending my friend, Augustus Finknottle, down to Brinkley today to enjoy her hospitality, and handed it to Gussie. "'Push that in at the first post office you pass,' I said." She will find it waiting for her on her return. Gussie popped along, flapping the telegram and looking like a close-up of Joan Crawford, and I turned to Jeeves and gave him a précis of my operations. Simple, you observe, Jeeves. Nothing elaborate. No, sir. Nothing far-fetched, nothing strained or bizarre, just nature's remedy. Yes, sir. This is the attack as it should have been delivered. What do you call it when two people of opposite sexes are bunged together in close association in a secluded spot, meeting each other every day and seeing a lot of each other? Is propinquity the word you wish, sir? It is. I stake everything on propinquity, Jeeves. Propinquity, in my opinion, is what will do the trick. At the moment, as you are aware, Gussie is a mere jelly when in the presence. But ask yourself how he will feel in a week or so after he and she have been helping themselves to sausages out of the same dish day after day at the breakfast sideboard, cutting the same ham, ladling out communal kidneys and bacon, why, I broke off abruptly. I had had one of my ideas. Golly, Jeeves! Sir? Here's an instance of how you have to think of everything. You heard me mention sausages, kidneys, and bacon and ham. Yes, sir. Well... There must be nothing of that. Fatal. The wrong note entirely. Give me that telegraph form and pencil. I must warn Gussie without delay. What he's got to do is create in this girl's mind the impression that he is pining away for love of her. This cannot be done by wolfing sausages. No, sir. Very well, then. And taking form and P, I drafted the following. 
Finknottle, Brinkley Court, Market Snodsbury, Worcestershire. Lay off the sausages. Avoid the ham. Bertie. Send that off, Jeeves. Instanter. Very good, sir. I sank back on the pillows. Well, Jeeves, I said. You see how I am taking hold? You notice the grip I am getting on this case. No doubt you realize now that it would pay you to study my methods. No doubt, sir. And even now you aren't on to the full depths of the extraordinary sagacity I've shown. Do you know what brought Aunt Delia up here this morning? She came to tell me I'd got to distribute the prizes at some beastly seminary she's a governor of down at Market Snodsbury. Indeed, sir. I fear you will scarcely find that a congenial task. Ah, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to shove it off on to Gussie. Sir? I propose, Jeeves, to wire to Aunt Delia saying that I can't get down and suggesting that she unleashes him on these young Borstal inmates of hers in my stead. But if Mr. Finknottle should decline, sir? Decline? Can you see him declining? Just conjure up the picture in your mind, Jeeves. Scene. The drawing room at Brinkley. Gussie wedged into a corner with Aunt Dahlia standing over him, making hunting noises. I put it to you, Jeeves. Can you see him declining? Not readily, sir. I agree. Mrs. Travers is a forceful personality. He won't have a hope of declining. His only way out would be to slide off. And he can't slide off because he wants to be with Miss Bassett. No, Gussie will have to toe the line and I shall be saved from a job at which I confess the soul shuddered, getting up on a platform and delivering a short, manly speech to a lot of foul school kids. Golly, Jeeves, I've been through that sort of thing once. What? You remember that time at the girls' school? Very vividly, sir. What an ass I made of myself. Certainly, I have seen you to better advantage, sir. I think you might bring me just one more of those dynamite specials of yours, Jeeves. This narrow squeak has made me come over all faint. I suppose it must have taken Aunt Delia three hours or so to get back to Brinkley, because it wasn't till well after lunch that her telegram arrived. It read like a telegram that had been dispatched in a white-hot surge of emotion some two minutes after she had read mine, as follows. Am taking legal advice to ascertain whether strangling an idiot nephew counts as murder. If it doesn't, look out for yourself. Consider your conduct frozen limit. What do you mean by planting your loathsome friends on me like this? Do you think Brinkley Court is a leper colony or what is it? Who is this spink bottle? Love. Travers. I had expected some such initial reaction. I replied in temperate vein. Not bottle. Nottle. Regards. Bertie. Almost immediately after she had dispatched the above heart cry... Gussie must have arrived, for it wasn't twenty minutes later when I received the following. Cipher telegram, signed by you, has reached me here. Runs, lay off the sausages, avoid the ham. Wire key immediately. Think not all. I replied. Also kidneys. Cheerio, Bertie. I had staked all on Gussie making a favourable impression on his hostess, basing my confidence on the fact that he was one of those timid, obsequious, teacup-passing, thin-bread-and-butter-offering yes-men, whom, 
women of my Aunt Dahlia's type nearly always like at first sight. That I had not overrated my acumen was proved by her next in order, which, I was pleased to note, assayed a markedly larger percentage of the milk of human kindness. As follows. Well, this friend of yours has got here, and I must say that for a friend of yours he seems less subhuman than I had expected. A bit of a pop-eyed bleater, but on the whole clean and civil, and certainly most informative about newts. I'm considering arranging series of lectures for him in neighbourhood. All the same, I like your nerve using my house as a summer hotel resort, and shall have much to say to you on subject when you come down. Expect you thirtieth. Bring spats. Love. Travers. To this, I reposted. On consulting engagement book, find impossible come Brinkley Court. Deeply regret. Toodaloo. Bertie. Hers, in reply, stuck a sinister note. Oh, so it's like that, is it? You and your engagement book, indeed. Deeply regret my foot. Let me tell you, my lad, that you will regret it a jolly sight more deeply if you don't come down. If you imagine for one moment that you are going to get out of distributing those prizes, you are very much mistaken. Deeply regret Brinkley Court hundred miles from London, as unable hit you with a brick. Love, Travers. I then put my fortune to the test, to win or lose it all. It was not a moment for petty economies. I let myself go, regardless of expense. No, but dash it. Listen, honestly, you don't want me. Get Finknottle distribute prizes. A born distributor who will do you credit. Confidently anticipate Augustus Finknottle as Master of Revels on 31st Inst. Would make genuine sensation. Do not miss this great chance, which may never occur again. Tinkety-tonk, Bertie. There was an hour of breathless suspense, and then the joyful tidings arrived. Well, all right. Something in what you say, I suppose. Consider you treacherous worm and contemptible, spineless cowardly custard, but have booked spink bottle. Stay where you are, then, and I hope you get run over by an omnibus. Love, Travers. The relief, as you may well imagine, was stupendous. A great weight seemed to have rolled off my mind. It was as if somebody had been pouring Jeeves's pick-me-ups into me through a funnel. I sang as I dressed for dinner that night. At the drones, I was so gay and cheery that there were several complaints. And when I got home and turned into the old bed, I fell asleep like a little child within five minutes of inserting the person between the sheets. It seemed to me that the whole distressing affair might now be considered definitely closed. Conceive my astonishment, therefore, when, waking on the morrow and setting up to dig into the morning teacup, I beheld on the tray another telegram. My heart sank. Could Aunt Dahlia have slept on it and changed her mind? Could Gussie, unable to face the ordeal confronting him, have legged it during the night down a water pipe? With these speculations racing through the bean, I tore open the envelope, and, as I noted contents, I uttered a startled yip. Sir? said Jeeves, pausing at the door. I read the thing again. Yes, I had got the gist all right. No, I had not been deceived in the substance. Jeeves, I said, do you know what? No, sir. 
You know my cousin, Angela? Yes, sir. You know young Tuppy Glossop? Yes, sir. They've broken off their engagement. I'm sorry to hear that, sir. I have here a communication from Aunt Dahlia specifically stating this. I wonder what the row was about. I could not say, sir. Of course you couldn't. Don't be an ass, Jeeves. No, sir. I brooded. I was deeply moved. Well, this means that we shall have to go down to Brinkley today. Aunt Dahlia is obviously all over Twitter, and my place is by her side. You had better pack this morning and catch that 1245 train with the luggage. I have a lunch engagement, so we'll follow in the car. Very good, sir. I brooded some more. I must say, this has come as a great shock to me, Jeeves. No doubt, sir. A very great shock. Angela and Tuppy. Tut-tut. Why, they seem like the paper on the wall. Life is full of sadness, Jeeves. Yes, sir. Still, there it is. Undoubtedly, sir. Righto, then. Switch on the bath. Very good, sir. You've been listening to classic stories about us. My name's Atta Otigba. See you next time.